somebody has a poor experience and that goes through a proper channel of complaint resolution, mm-hmm. the level of satisfaction on the other side of that is higher than those who have a satisfactory experience to begin with. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 169. Today, we're going to explore how to apply the hospitality mentality to manufacturing. Our guest this week is Josh Liebman. Josh Liebman is a guest experience expert, primarily in the attractions industry, and he's also the co-host of the Attraction Pros podcast. Josh was actually on Manufacturing Happy Hour a long, long time ago on episode 17. You'll hear us reference that a couple times throughout this conversation, but it's not a prerequisite for today's discussion. I will say that episode was really focused on what manufacturers can learn from the hospitality industry in general and theme park operations. Really great list of stuff in that one. Today's episode is really more focused on how to create raving fans of your business and really what a raving fan is to begin with. Josh and I also get a little meta later in the conversation. We talk about career missions, storytelling, and what podcasting has done for our careers. It's a long episode. It's about an hour-long conversation, and I will say it is also the first time, and I will say the only time, we will ever eat on the show as well. There is a certain food that is a specialty of the venue where we did the interview. We couldn't pass up on having some of this uh, delicacy, we'll call it, but more on that in a second. So before we dive in, as always, if you want to learn more, check out the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 169. And if you want to join a community of manufacturing leaders that have conversations like this, that connect like this, well, hey, go to the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. That'll take you straight to our LinkedIn page. Shoot me a direct message to join that group and I will let you right in. By the way, I want to give a shout out to Swipe Guide, our newest sponsor of the show. Swipe Guide, thank you for doing what you do. They are a hassle-free solution for sharing how-tos and boosting know-how across frontline teams. They empower the frontline through standard work and skills development. It's a clear-cut platform for frontline teams coordinating instructions, checklists, and training. They're trusted by companies like PepsiCo, ABB, and Heineken. And speaking of Heineken, not only is this manufacturing happy hour appropriate, but just two episodes ago on episode 167, we chatted with them as to how they are implementing Swipe Guide across their enterprise. Willemine Schneider, CEO of Swipe Guide, was there as well. It's a cool conversation. If you want to listen, make sure to go back to episode 167. Again, thank you, Swipe Guide for sponsoring this show. And with that, we're going to jump into today's interview with Josh. We're going to head down to Chicago, Illinois. This was recorded right before the holidays, so there's a bit of a holiday vibe to it. So we will see you there.
cheers from across the... We can reach. We can reach. There cheers. we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome to your first in-person episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour. Chris, I feel like this is a uh, bucket list item right here. I am eating wings, drinking beer, and we're recording a podcast together. So what... What more do I need in life? Well, I think you should add that it's at one of your favorite bars and a spot that I have come to enjoy as well, since you introduced me to it as well. Tell us about the spot where we're hanging out right That's now. That's true. We're, uh, we're at Toons in the uh, Southport Corridor area of Chicago, part of the Lakeview neighborhood, really close to Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a wonderful spot. They have fantastic wings. They have plenty of beers on tap and wonderful service as well. This is the second time you and I have hung out here before. First time podcasting, second time hanging out. Um, And I can attest to the fact that they have wonderful wings as well, which brings us to a monumental occasion on this podcast, actually, as we get going in the intro. I don't know if the audience is going to like it or not, but hey, this is like it's a holiday episode. We're going to do whatever we want. So we actually have wings in front of us. We are going to have the final wing of our set and try not to get the buffalo sauce on the microphone just to let people know how good it is and uh i will say if if someone's watching on camera they can see that i'm pouring my blue cheese on the wing itself i don't dip i pour it on there to evenly distribute it how do you eat your wings actually you know chris i don't think i've ever talked about chicken wing eating strategy with anybody but uh i'm usually just a a plunker and it might be uh might be a fact that i'm impatient to Mm. evenly distribute the uh blue cheese across the wing but I think I'm, I think I'm going to try it next time I get wings. I think I'm just going to might, do, might do a nice drizzle. You know, it's like a call it a, a glaze, right? A blue cheese glaze across the uh, yeah. across the wing. You do yeah. eat quickly. You demolish your food. And, mm-hmm. and as someone that just took a bite of his own wing on this side of the table, I will say it is something you kind of need to move the microphone out of the way for a little bit. <laughs> I think you got it past it, though. You have Doing better. The best. I'm sliding it through on the left hand side here. Got the mic on the right hand side. Mm. Yeah, you have better okay. wing eating in podcasting techniques than I do. You know, someone should make a show where they eat wings and talk about stuff. Like, I can't believe no one's done this before. Nobody has ever done mm-hmm. interviews while eating hot wings mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't believe we just invented it. I know. Going to be a million dollar idea for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to talk with my mouth full for most of this interview. So I am going <laughs> to finish this wing for a second. Mm. I'll figure out if I'm going to edit some of this out later. Listen, apologies to your audience for having to just hear us chew here. Welcome to the the Wing Chewing Podcast. Yes, Wing Chewing Happy Hour. Although Wings and Happy Hour go well together, it actually is kind of shocking that it's taken this long to to have a chicken wing on the show before. Um, Thrilled to be on the uh, maiden voyage here of eating wings on the podcast. Do you have sauce on my face? Uh, You're good. You're pretty good. I think I've got some of mine. I'll I'll get it out of there at some point. You naturally finish your wing a lot faster than I did. I'm going (laughs) to set my plate to the side. I'm glad our first inaugural inaugural moment of eating wings on the show went so well, because that could have gone really poorly. Mm. Well, while I'm licking my fingers and getting buffalo <laughs> sauce out of the way, the natural first question I have to ask is, how do you describe the hospitality mentality as if you're having wings and beer with someone? And describe the mentality don't necessarily describe the book yet we'll get to the book in a second but what is the hospitality mentality excellent question uh great great note to start on here too so the the hospitality mentality is a mindset that anyone in any industry can embrace and it involves a few different components and the first is where you recognize that the people that you serve whether you call them customers guests clients partners vendors etc they don't need you. 
and that they can do anything else aside from do business with you. They can do business elsewhere. They can they can do anything else with their lives, actually, aside from doing business with you. And the actions that you take show that individual that you recognize that they don't need you and they could do anything else aside from do business with you. And I remember you brought that up the first time we had a conversation. I look I, and, and I know you were listening to this before this interview as well as I was driving down from Milwaukee to Chicago for this discussion. I was listening back through our interview, which took place in May 2020. So it's been over three and a half years. I think it was we, before I even got my like COVID haircut. I think I like I remember like watching myself on the screen just being like, God, that hair, Josh. Like, uh, well, lucky you, I wasn't recording on video yet <laughs> at that God. point in my podcasting <laughs> career. I too, because I remember I went on a trip to Asheville, North Carolina um, to visit Beautiful a friend scene. out there. But this was like in June or so, like the first time, like, okay, we kind of know what the protocol is. If you're going to do it, here's how to do it safely. Um, but yeah, because I couldn't get a haircut in San Francisco, so I had to fly across the country to get a haircut in Asheville, <laughs> North Carolina. So that's why I remember... You're more resourceful than I was. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, if oh, that, was, that was a good feeling, getting that haircut done. We're like going back to COVID days, like the way we're nostalgically talking about this. Um, I'm going to give us some credit, though. I listened back to that episode, and I'm like, you know what? This wasn't like the painful, clunky experience some people get when they go back to one of their earlier pieces of content. Because although we had both been doing this for a little while at that point, I had done another podcast and manufacturing happy hour as a podcast had been going for like, I don't know, eight months or so. How long had attraction pros been running um, by like May, 2020? It doesn't need to be exact, but like an at, estimation at that point, uh, just shy of three years at that point. So we started um, in, uh, in late summer of 2017. Mm, okay. Yeah. So yeah, we were, mm -hmm. we were old pros at that point. It yeah. wasn't, um, you know, there were some things that stuck out in that episode and I'm actually going to pull them up because I wanted to ask you about them. Um, one thing you, and, and for context for anyone listening today, um, definitely go back and listen to episode 17, not a prerequisite, uh, not a prerequisite for this episode, <laughs> but in that episode, we really talked about, Hey, what can the manufacturing industry learn from the attractions industry in general? And, I feel like we really took a, that was really operations focus in a lot of ways, but from a guest experience lens. And one of the things that you mentioned, like as an amusement park opens, like it's so compartmentalized, like you have a checklist for operations as well as guest experience. Like you're looking at the things that operationally need to be functioning, which is something in the manufacturing industry we look at every day. I'm curious, do you see opportunities for other industries as they're doing their, let's say their operational checklist or their daily checklist to be doing that with a more guest experience mindset, or as a lot of people in my industry are probably comfortable calling it, like how can they be thinking about the customer as they're going through that checklist? How do you answer that question now? Uh, yeah, 100%. So it, when you think of, if you were to divide this into basically two separate checklists, one is the like the functional needs, right? So mm -hmm. in in an amusement park, I think uh, recalling back to episode 17, I was saying something like that, uh, you know, are, are, all the, are all the gates properly locked around, you know, rides that have, uh, you know, ride envelopes and low zones, et cetera. And, and is, is this this way, right? All the, all the, yes or no, all the binary aspects of it, right? Mm -hmm. Almost the, the tangible side of what the operation looks like. The guest experience checklist 
goes beyond that to say, what are the intangibles? What do our guests expect when they actually come visit here? When What do our customers expect? What do the people who, who do business with us expect when they do business with us? And that allows you to think in a little bit more abstract terms. So rather the functional like, are the doors unlocked? Yes or no, right? It's more so, is, is the environment welcoming? Is, uh, is my attitude a more personable uh, approach rather than just the functional needs of the business, right? Is it, mm -hmm. am I offering something that shows that I'm invested in that relationship that shows the recognition of that hospitality mentality of recognizing, okay, what am I, what am I doing that kind of goes beyond the surface level of what needs to be done to what do I make sure I am doing to show the guest that I am personally invested in their experience, and not just financially invested into it, that I'm, mm -hmm. I'm genuinely interested in making sure that I'm showing them that they made the right choice by doing business with me. Mm -hmm. and, and one thing I'm curious, as you, because as far as I, you're the guest experience guy in my <laughs> network. You're the, you're the person that I'm going to go to to talk about this type of thing, whether it applies to amusement parks, roller coasters, or any other industry. I'm curious. I want to. I want to talk a little bit about you before we get too far into the details. So I asked the first question around what is the hospitality mentality, like the mentality itself. But why did you decide to write the book to distill <laughs> all this knowledge as well? What was there a moment that went into it? Because we've been talking about this for now, like we we, we talked about the date earlier for almost four years, and I know you've been doing it long before that as well. Why the book? That's a good question. I, the idea for the book came well over 10 years ago mm -hmm. when I was really connecting a lot of dots between what I was observing with guest experience within my industry, which is, which is attractions, it's tourism, it's hospitality, and identifying some gaps where I felt the industry could do better. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't just a, here's what everything is, you know, where everything's going wrong and here's what you need to fix, but it's more so of, of outlining what's the whole holistic approach to all of this. So I, I can tell you, uh, more than 11 years ago, I pulled up PowerPoint one night and just used a bunch of shapes and arrows and created a very complex diagram. And I was just like this, like <laughs> this is it, right? <laughs> Thankfully, that's never seen the light of day in the public eye, right? Because the, the initial like iterations of the book were just like, I'm going to go through this flow chart where I was able to then really kind of improve upon that. And that in and of itself helped me in the business that I was building mm -hmm. from guest experience consulting for, for my industry in particular, but looking at something of, of abstract and just in business in general and any business that does business with other human beings, which is every single business on the planet, because, mm -hmm. you know, humans invented business. I guess we could claim that. And, yeah. and, and what's the, the flow that someone goes through the business that maybe they just found out that the business exists, they are, they are a first-time customer, guest, buyer, whatever it is. How do we take that person and turn them into a loyal advocate a customer for life, a, mm -hmm. a guest forever, and I know we could, you know, dive off of the, off, off that, you know, entirely. Uh, 
But what happens to everything, everything in between? So I'd always had this idea in the back of my mind of, one day this will be a book. Uh, but in the meantime, it started as, as the consulting business. And then I had uh, uh, some people reach out to me and say, hey, can you build a, a guest service training program for us? And I said, yeah, probably. You know, I, I'm sure I could. I'm, you know, I, I oversaw guest communications within major theme parks and I have a master's degree in hospitality and a bachelor's in, in theme park management. <laughs> I've done a lot of this and I, I've got some ideas of, of some framework and ways that things can kind of link together. So I did that. That was uh, well over seven years ago that mm-hmm. I first started that. And I was able to see the reactions in real time of the individuals and a lot of these individuals, some of them were, were in leadership, some of them were, were owners, some of them were, were executives within their organization, but some of them were also the frontline staff as well, which means in my industry, those are the people who are delivering the experience. Mm-hmm. They are the ones who are make or break of what is our standard within our organization. And I was able to see where the light bulbs were going off for them and where the light bulbs were going off for the executives of the business. And I was able to continually, I would say, improve upon that in terms of, all right, what are the areas that I'm going to focus on right here when building out this training program? So this training workshop that, you know, that, that grew and, and expanded over the years. Uh, like you mentioned, I've, I've got a podcast as well. So I'd, I'd inter- interview people on my podcast and, and ask them and, and collect more from mm-hmm. many of the, the experts and the smart people in my industry. I'd be looking at the research and what the data was. And really all of this kind of just was, was put into a, a funnel and out came up this framework, which mm-hmm. I call the hospitality mentality. And that became the book. Yeah. One thing that you said there really stuck out, and it's going to be something we're going to talk about quite a bit over these next few questions is you said, how do we turn someone into a customer for life? What's all the stuff that happens in between that leads up to that? And that's what I want to talk with you about now, because I think there's a lot that we can learn when it comes to the hospitality mentality around what does a raving fan look like and the impact of reviews and word of mouth. And I think that's where I'm going to go with some of these next couple questions, which let's start with a basic one. Like, what does a raving fan look like? And I've read your book for context. I, I've got some stuff I'll, I'll throw in there as well, but I want to hear it from the author first. So I'm sure everyone has their, their own personal definition of what is a raving fan. You probably imagine like someone at a football game with their shirt off, covered in body paint, and they're screaming, right? Like, it's a good picture of a raving fan. They're yeah. a raving <laughs> fan, right? They're, they've got the colors of the team, and like that's their life, right? They, they wake up, and they go to sleep, and everything in between is, is that, right? I, but if you, if you break it down to what do, they, what do they actually do? Like, what are the actual practical components of that? If we were to list that in, in bullet point form or death by PowerPoint, as some people like mm-hmm. to say, mm-hmm. what, what's a raving fan? Well, it's someone who comes back. Therefore, they do business with you more than once, right? They, they have the desire to want to keep doing business with you. They influence others as well. Now, the word influence and influencer, I know in the last, I don't know, five, seven years or so has definitely taken on new terms. You think of someone uh, on TikTok with a million followers saying, hey, I just bought this new pair of shoes. Click here, get the disc. Yeah, that's influencing. You and I probably get pigeonholed into the influencer (laughs) category every once. I I, I do for sure. I don't know about you and in your industry. Probably not because you're 
I think in the attractions industry, <laughs> influencer versus someone who's a professional in the space like yourself, there's a more fine line, I sure. think, which is a very <laughs> unique element of the attractions industry. Well, even, I mean, with, with any aspects here, I mean, we're, we're sitting here and I'm looking around and you were at a bar and there's a pool table here on, on the left. We got the cameras. We got the, if, you were to, if you were to say to me, Josh, like, like if you're, if you're going to open a bar, you got to get this pool table and here's why, right? And, and when it's time for me to get another one, I'm, I'm going to get this next pool table, right? Or the, mm-hmm. the tech equipment that we're using, it's here's why I love this microphone. And, and, yeah. you know, and, and you're, if you were to say to me, Josh, you're a podcaster too. And, and you know, and if you want to improve your audio quality, like use this mic, use this headset, right? Use these, et cetera. Like that's influencing. Mm-hmm. I, I heard somebody once say, uh, I treat every single guest as an influencer, whether mm-hmm. they have 10 followers or 10 million followers, because you, you know, people, right. You know, people who are of the demographic yeah. of, of the business that you're talking about. So they, 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 I visit again or they purchase again or they do business with you again. They influence others to visit or they influence others to do business with you. Uh, and, and then I go into a third one of saying they, they defend you when, when you need defending. Yeah. And, uh, or they, they stick up for you. And this was sort of kind of inspired by if, let's say, uh, you see a business post something on Facebook and maybe mm-hmm. that business is in some sort of PR crisis in some way, shape or form, right? Sure. Then, the, then the responses on that, if you were just to click on, on comments, you'd see a whole bunch of people flaming that business, right? Yeah. The loyal ones are the ones who are posting things that maybe the business won't necessarily be able to say because it doesn't fall into their standards of communication. But if somebody else is saying it, then it's okay, right? So I, I don't dive deep into that. I, I focus more so on the first two of they do business with you again, and they mm-hmm. influence others to do business with you. That, in a nutshell, is a raving fan. Well, the, I actually, one of the things I, I was going through my copy of the book before this interview, and one of the things that I had underlined was actually your third point, that they defend you when something's going on. Because I think in the, it's interesting, in the manufacturing world, we're probably not going, like people are loyal, they come back, they do business with people they've done business for, for a long time. They're influencing others in the way they talk about, hey, I've had a great experience working with this company, with this vendor, working with this value-added reseller, whatever it is, right? But maybe we're not talking about it online as frequently with the same enthusiasm that someone talks about roller coasters. Because sure. you and I both like enjoy I. roller coasters <laughs> a lot. We tweet about it a ton. And it's it's just, it's a different thing than the B2B world of manufacturing. But one of the things that really jumped out at me was how people will come to your defense. And I think one of the things that you mentioned in your book that I think is extremely important is they come to your defense or I shouldn't say they'll come to your defense publicly, but if like the loyal fan experience is an issue, they're going to come to you through a private channel. They're not going to knock you on Twitter or in the manufacturing industry. Probably like those knocks are going to come on LinkedIn and things like that. They're going to send you a message. They're going to send you an email. They're going to say, Hey, I love working with you guys. But I'm having an experience that is very out of out of the norm of what I normally experience with you because it's normally great, you know, and that's when people have the opportunity to really address. And that's when you can also identify who a raving fan is for your company. Just my thoughts on the parallels with manufacturing. Well, without question. Absolutely. Because we, Chris, we live in a world these days where if you want to say something negative about a business and Mm -hmm. have it attract attention beyond people that are within your inner circle, we all have that at our fingertips. We, we all have 
no barriers to to flaming a business on right, right? right. To, to posting right. A, a negative review or negative social media or saying, uh, don't do business with this because X, Y, Z. The loyal, raving fans, they recognize that the business might not mm-hmm. necessarily be perfect. And the reason for speaking up is because they want to continue being loyal. I, I'll, I mean, I'll give you an example. There was a restaurant down the street. I, I won't name it, but it's one that ever since it opened, I'd been going there very frequently. I, I love it. It's fantastic. Last time I went there was about seven months or so ago. I had a poor experience, sent an email because... If I have a poor experience, it generally, I, I try to make it my standard in life that I'm, I'm going to send it as an email, right? Or send For it sure. at, you know, through yeah. the contact form of the website. You're not right? going to do it publicly. Exactly. Exactly. To say, like, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that this did not meet the standard that is normal because I know what the standard that is normal. Sadly, I didn't get a response back. And now I'm thinking, you know what? I'm not, I'm not rushing back to go back to that restaurant. It's very mm-hmm. easy for me to go here. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's right down the street. I live very close by. I, you know, if, if somebody suggests, where do we go in this neighborhood? It's probably not going to be top of mind Yeah. versus if they would have gotten back to me instantly and said, Josh, I'm so glad you reached out. Uh, as you know, because you come here often, this definitely is not the standard we expect. We're going to do X, Y, Z. That would have absolutely regained my satisfaction. I would have built more rapport with that restaurant that would have actually reinforced my loyalty. Mm-hmm. And then I would be going there a lot more often sure. and telling people, yeah, let's go there because it's a great experience. And when it's not, they fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you are a more tactful individual when it comes to the ways that you respond <laughs> to negative experiences. Another thing that jumped out at me in your book was when you talked about the impact of a negative review, that someone that has a negative review on average, and and you cited your sources on this, will dissuade 30 other people from going to that place so that they don't have that same negative experience. Am I on the right track in that regard? You are. And now all we're doing is math. Mm-hmm. We're actually talking about what does a what does a poor experience cost you? So whether it's a negative review, if it's on TripAdvisor, Google Reviews, or Yelp, or if you've got a close knit industry where people talk to each other, yep. honestly, you could probably take that number and, and magnify it. So take that that thirty, right? So so here's what the data says: is that one negative review can turn away up to thirty prospective customers or guests mm-hmm. in your business. Mm-hmm. You take that and you multiply it by by your average spend, exactly by your average. You know, transaction. Yeah, I think you gave the example of like going to an amusement park, right? Which, you know, a couple hundred dollars per yeah. guest or whatever that, you know, guests and their family and things like that. I'm sure manufacturers that are listening to this are doing the math and being like, well, damn, like our average person does four, five, six figures of business with us. Like, do the math there. Like, that is an astronomical amount in that capacity. So if I need to uh, do some kind of recovery and using your example, if it's a thousand dollars, if it's $5,000, yeah, you're going to get that immediate sting. But think of that impact. Think of, think of how much you're saving. Mm -hmm. And then there's something called the recovery paradox as well. If we, if we want to go into that, and that's Give when the spark notes real quick. We're like the, the one or two <laughs> sentence. We've only got a moment before we got to pound our beers and get out of here. Okay. To be clear, we have plenty of time in this podcast, but still, I just want to. Bar is not to, about to close. One, it is one, still light outside, even in qu- December. <laughs> yes. This is what happens when you both quit your jobs and you can podcast full time. So, go. well, yeah. you're a consultant full time. You do more. You're an author now. You have quite a bit a wider of a resume than I do right well, now. I'm a very busy guy, Chris. <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell you. <laughs> 
<laughs> I blocked my whole day for this. Let me... <laughs> <laughs> All right. I was like, Chris is coming to town. Yes. yes. <laughs> Let's gallivant around you were, Chicago. You were enthusiastic. You were enthusiastic. Okay. I appreciate that. All right. Recovery paradox. Yes. A lot of data on this. Uh, I think it started like in the 90s and the early 2000s. And what the researchers uh, identified, and this transcends industry. So I know I'm hospitality. I know I'm mm-hmm. theme parks, et cetera. It's true in my business. It's true in your business as well for you watching, listening to this, et cetera. Uh, a poor experience. Somebody has a poor experience and, and they identify that, right? They, they speak up about it and that goes through a proper channel of service recovery and complaint resolution. Mm-hmm. The level of satisfaction on the other side of that is higher than those who have a satisfactory experience to begin with. And I think... And I, and I think of this in terms of in, in my business where I'm like, man, the deck is not stacked in our favor in so many instances of even just getting people in the door. This right here is something we really need to capitalize on. And this is regardless of industry is that if somebody has a poor experience, we recognize, you know what? We strive to provide a 100% satisfactory experience to every single person that does business with us. That is a no brainer. That is table stakes. That is entry into the game. We also recognize that a negative experience or some sort of of defect in what we expect the standard for our quality and our product to be, every once in a while, those are going to happen. So we've built into our culture, our operation, our organization, service recovery. So not only are we canceling out a bad experience, we're regaining that satisfaction, we're regaining that trust. And in many cases, that leads to loyalty. Mm-hmm. So earlier this year, I was doing a, was doing a workshop with a, a family entertainment center. So think like arcade, bar, like like sports, bar, like all that, like games, like, like all, yeah, mini golf spot thing, things like that. Not an amusement park, but somewhere where you go smaller for fun. scale. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, uh, and I'm talking about this and, and the general manager is in there and, I, and I'm talking to his frontline staff. We're talking like high school, college kids, like entry level job. And I'm, I'm explaining all this, the GM, he, he like raises his hand and then he stands up and he, and he turns to his team and he goes, guys, what Josh is saying is 100% true. And he starts listing off people's names and everyone's mm-hmm. like nodding their heads and like, yeah, those are some of our most loyal guests. Like they sit at that booth. They, they yeah. come every single Sunday yeah. and they get a, a large cheese pizza and a, like a pitcher of Coke or something. They're like six-year-old kids or whatever it is. And he goes, yeah, they started out with a really poor experience. Their first visit mm. here was really bad. And we took that on. We were, we jumped in front of that and we recovered from it. So like in your example, if people are spending five, six, seven figures on a product and if something goes wrong, your investment into fixing that is not just, well, that's the cost to do in business, right? Or, oh, that's, that's a, a lost cost because we, we made a mistake. No, think about the loyalty that you can build from that create that raving fan that now that five, six, seven figure product yeah. multiplies over time because they, they would have gone somewhere else if you didn't yeah. fix it. Yeah. And, and now, and I use this in the context of like, like TripAdvisor, you pull up TripAdvisor. And if you see a review that said, I came to this place, et cetera, whatever. Uh, and I had a poor experience, but I reached out and Chris called me the next morning and took care of it. It was the nicest guy in the world and, and this one, that, and when he invited us back and whatever mm-hmm. it was, that's, if, 
if they put five stars in that review, yep. That's lo- a that's yeah. a five star review. I look at those, I look at like I I will look at a review like that and be like, cool, it had an issue. That happens to everyone, right? right? Did they solve it? Yeah, they did. I'm definitely gonna do business with them. Or that's that if if I see something like that towards the front of the reviews, that's usually a deciding factor. Be like sold, done. Yep. Like this is this is where I'm gonna be given my business. We'll be back in a moment, but first, a quick word from our sponsor. Are you looking for some manufacturing entertainment? Then you need to check out 3M's Clash of the Grinders Student Edition Competition, which you can do today by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com 3M. This web series pits soon-to-be pros against each other in a showcase of the next generation of skilled trades talent, and it all culminates with the winner receiving a $10,000 scholarship sponsored by Fanuc. Throughout the series, you'll see the competition, manufacturing trends these emerging leaders will face in their careers, and how new innovations will help them work more efficiently and sustainably. 3M is committed to skilled trades education with a goal of creating 5 million STEM and skilled trade learning experiences, and this is part of that mission. Make sure to subscribe to 3M Abrasives on YouTube so that you don't miss a single new episode of Clash of the Grinders Student Edition. Again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 3M will take you right there. And now, back to today's episode. So, I've got a couple more questions on this train of thought that have come up during your excellent answers. And the first one is... You, you talked a lot about like the frontline staff, which is a big thing in manufacturing as well. Like I've been telling people we are in the age of the frontline worker with all the tools that are empowering them. And quite frankly, they're making a lot of decisions um, that drive the way manufacturing companies are operating right now, which is a good thing. How do you instill this customer mentality, or as we're going to call it today, the hospitality mentality in a frontline staff. I think that's something that manufacturers are always asking themselves. It's like, yes, I'm the executive. I understand that customers are front and center, but when you're out on the plant floor, that's not necessarily where your mindset is because you're like the the attractions industry is very nice in that regard because you are front and center with the customer every day. Like you see them when you are on the front line, but that doesn't necessarily happen in the space that I'm in on a regular basis. So what's your advice to get that hospitality mentality to the front line? I always say that I have two audiences when I'm, when I'm pitching and, and trying to make a sale. One mm-hmm. is the decision maker, the leader within the business. Uh, so this is like, if I'm doing like my training workshops, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like this is why you need to bring me in X, Y, Z. This is why it'll be very beneficial for your organization. Cause loyalty is, is revenue and, and influence and, and word of mouth and decreased marketing costs. The second audience that I have is the frontline staff, is that I need to pitch to them why this is important. Mm-hmm. And in one way, it aligns with the company's goals, right? Of everything you're doing from embracing the hospitality mentality is going to grow revenue and repeat business and influence. And, and it's going to be great because it helps us build organic growth. Mm-hmm. That isn't totally the message that I really come at it with. I talk about why it's actually very good for them personally, mm-hmm. as an individual, as a human being. Yeah. And so I can tell you, uh, you know, an in, in instance with like with my industry, when those who are, they are managing the guests or they are interacting with the guests is that 
it's one of the most fulfilling things that mm -hmm. you can do for yourself. And you spend years on the front line. Like we kind of glossed over that in this episode, <laughs> but you've been working in amusement parks since you were like 18, basically. And, and 18 in one day. Exactly. The day one day. after I yeah. turned 18. Go right? back yeah. and listen to episode 17, <laughs> episode 17 for that story. Yeah. We're not going to cover that here. <laughs> uh, so, and, and in those instances, think about, think about your drive to work everywhere, your commute to work every single morning, and then your driver commute back home at the end of the day. Going there in the morning, well, maybe you had to hit the snooze button a few times. Maybe you yeah. missed breakfast. Maybe you're just like, ugh, this is another day at work. And then on the way home, it's like, ugh, that was another day at work. I can't wait to go home and decompress and play video mm -hmm. games and have a couple drinks and go to bed, right? And now, like, disconnect from it. Everything that happens in between, if you align all of this with how it makes us feel good mm -hmm. to do it, then the fact that it's good for the business and it's good for the organization is actually irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So in, in my instance, with, like, with my industry in particular, of creating a wow experience or doing that service recovery, you drive home at the end of the day, you're like, man, not only did I do a good job today, mm -hmm. but I actually had an impact on someone's life. Yeah. And maybe it was that visit in a theme park where uh, on the surface level, seems was like, oh, just a visit in a theme park. But if we think about like the, the intangible benefits of that and the, the memories that they're creating and the fact that now they see that the value in that experience, not just for dollars, but for time and, and how they spent their resources and their, and their energy and, and all of that, uh, then it, it kind of recirculates into the next morning of now, now I'm not at the snooze button. Now yeah. I'm, I'm getting up before the alarm goes off and now I'm eating a really good breakfast and now I'm, I'm ready to, to go and, and just do that again because that builds momentum. So in manufacturing, look at, look at that. So if, if you look at, okay, you take all these concepts of the hospitality mentality, driving loyalty, creating fans through your guest experience or your customer experience or your, your, your partner, whatever it is, uh, and then distilling that and saying, why is that actually good for, for the individual who is doing that on the front line? That then ramps up the motivation, and then now that increases performance, not just because it's good for the organization, but it's good for themselves individually. Mm -hmm. Now, I like the way that you, I also like the way you talk about having that, those multiple sets of customers, right? You got the decision maker, but you also need to make sure that the folks that are going to be um, really putting this into practice are on board with it as well. And that's something we face in the manufacturing world every day. Last thing I'm going to say here, or last question I'm going to ask for this portion of the conversation before we get a little reflective here at the end is uh, I want people to read your book. So we don't want to give away everything. Um, but what's like the, the one, two or three pieces of advice you'd give to folks? Going back to one of our earlier questions, how do you create that raving fan? What are one what are a couple pieces of advice you'd give? I. Uh, Pull back from your customer experience because it's very easy to distill it into, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this, I need to do this. Mm -hmm. Pulling back and saying, why? What are, what are the implications if I do this? Maybe there is a cost to that, but what is the benefit to that? Mm -hmm. The other thing I would challenge everyone listening to think about as well is to say, what do I have to offer that has such high value to the customer, but little or no cost to the business. 
So I look at that in, in two ways, and one of them is service recovery and in terms of, of compensation and, and, uh, and the way that we are actually resolving certain service failures, but using it on the front end as well of what are some experiences that we can create that are beyond expectation, beyond what we actually need to do to serve that client that you know, they're not going to detract from, from anybody else, right? It's not going not to take away from any other client or customer's experience with us or purchase with us. And there are so many things when we look at the intangible aspects of what we have, we recognize that there is so much that the customer or the client sees value in, but actually doesn't cost us anything or at the most very little. Yeah, and and I there are a lot of examples in your book that that talk to that because one of the important things that you said there uh, that resonated when I read the book was how creating that experience when it's little cost to you but extremely valuable to the guest you need to make sure it's not necessarily impacting other guests in a negative way. You talk about like being in line at a hotel or something like that, where the, the folks at the front desk are really chatty and friendly and things like that, which is great. Right. That's that's, that's fine in essence. But when it's like, when there's a long line and you got to get people through the queue at that point in time, hey, maybe don't do all the small talk. The priority there is like making it quick for the the person at the desk, and then the person in line after that, and after that, and after that. Yeah, which it I was think a is service failure for me in line. Exactly. It was before breakfast. I was hungry, and then I became hangry <laughs> from that. That's, you had that's how that memory. <laughs> had you had coffee yet at that point? I or? don't think so. I think it was just let me get there and get straight to breakfast. Now I'm standing there watching the friendliest people in the world go yeah. above and beyond. And it's like okay, now here's where hospitality is actually backfiring. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it's a great point, right? But I think that meant, I don't want to use the word mentality because that's the word for your book, but like when you use the word mentality, yeah, when you get in the mentality of thinking, it's like, Hey, what's something that I can do that is going to be super like maybe out of the ordinary, something the customer would really appreciate. But for me, it's maybe just a little extra thing that I need to do. Like Mm -hmm. that's something that I, you know, especially now as a business owner myself, like I'm thinking about what are those things that I can do that are high impact for the people I serve. But on my end, you know, something I can turn into, especially something I can turn into a process, like, and I can replicate and do pretty easily. So a lot of great advice for everyone out there. I'm going to have a note, like a link to the book in the show notes, but um, definitely check out the hospitality mentality. I loved it. As you can tell from this conversation, I pull a lot of things for the manufacturing industry. One thing I always like asking authors that appear on this show um, that have also appeared on the show in the past, or, you know, just thinking about the book writing journey. We talked about this at the start. We podcasted three and a half years ago. What's something that has shifted in terms of your mindset around hospitality since when we first had our conversation to now, if you can think of one. Wow. That's a good question. I know it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you're a podcaster. I'm a podcaster. This is what we say, do. <laughs> so you're good at this, right? Um, what has shifted in it? Um, I, I think maybe what has shifted in I don't know if it's shifted in, in the mindset, but maybe in in the way that I articulate a lot of a lot of the concepts that I talked about in the book. Mm-hmm. So here I'll I'll pull back a, a little bit here, and you know I said I started writing the book like eleven years ago, right? The, the earliest drafts sure. and like that that PowerPoint 
yeah, framework. Your framework that you don't want anyone to see. Which arrows. I would love to see a copy of that. I'm going to send it It's, to it's you, always yeah. interesting you to can see post where it in someone the show started. notes if you want to okay. do that. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I iterated that to improve it and I got it to the point where where I said, all right, this is it. Like finally, like there's there were a lot of drafts that were discarded, and like thankfully we'll never ever see the light of day. Uh, I had to intentionally decide: Am I going to turn my brain off now from writing this book because I've submitted the manuscript, it's done, or am I going to keep my brain on? And well, my brain decided it was it was going to stay on, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's nothing in the book that I would say I've shifted my mindset away from, but I sure. I have found more and more ways to package a lot of the things that were in the book. And there was uh, one thing that that came recently, and we can we can try to maybe connect some dots here and draw some okay. parallels to okay. to manufacturing. But in attractions and in hospitality, we say often that we strive to. Uh, uh, provide experiences that create memories that last a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And it is a nice, warm, soft, fuzzy statement that just makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. But what we don't talk too often about is that that is actually the business model. So one of the things that I did talk about in the book, and I, and I, I quoted another researcher from this and say, people don't choose between experiences. They, they choose between the memory of the experience. Interesting. And, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. think of like memories, it sounds so, um, uh, it, it sounds so soft, right? It sounds just like, like very fluffy, right? It sounds just like, like it's, it's just like, Oh, we're making memories. Right. But the way we remember something then turns into our action in the future. So the way we remember an experience becomes the way that we perceive what that experience was. Mm-hmm. That perception determines our satisfaction or our dissatisfaction. And that determines how we then share and, and in today's world broadcast that experience with others through whether it's online reviews or influence, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So when we say in our industry that we create memories that last a lifetime, it's like, no, like actually what we want to do from the, the hospitality and the service and the experience standpoint is we want to give you something that as you recall back to it, you're sharing a very positive experience that exceeded your very high expectation. That's going to mm-hmm. cause you to want to do it again and tell others to do it as well. So creating memories that last a lifetime isn't just a soft, fuzzy statement. It's the business model. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering how to apply this to manufacturing right now, because we're not necessarily going to an amusement park with our family in this space. Right. I also have another question for you. Are you wearing your like pineapple shirt? Maybe. From, yeah. Did you yeah. want, did, did you mean to keep this sweatshirt on this whole time? Are you cold or were you like <laughs> hoping to like display that in the video for well, this? So for context to your audience, it's uh, the middle of December and it's like mid twenties, maybe low 30 yeah, degrees this is outside. Out in, like, January. It's not going to be that that much warmer yeah, by the time exactly, this comes exactly. out, January, February, sometime around there. So I, I did decide several days ago of, I'm going to wear my pineapple shirt to this interview because I know we're recording it on video. And then it was actually kind of a last minute decision of maybe I should have one more layer on it as well. But I did one that has a good zipper on it so you can... You can see, yeah, as you like, can obviously pull it see out a little bit because I can't really yeah. tell. Yeah, there's it's a pineapple, which is which, you know, this is this is a good opportunity. I don't want to move us off the topic of creating <laughs> memories that last a lifetime. Maybe it's tie all this, intertwined. Yeah, tie this in with that. But yeah. what does a pineapple have to do with the hospitality mentality? This is a great conversation over a beer. The pineapple is the international symbol for hospitality, and this dates back to the colonial days of America where these explorers would leave their homes for weeks or months at a time and 
As you can imagine, many of them probably didn't return, but those that did wanted to make sure that they brought back, uh, let's just say, some souvenirs from their experiences. And if they went down to the Caribbean during that time, there probably wasn't exactly a gift shop that they could shop in before uh, before sure. coming back home, right? So they would they would gather a lot of exotic plants and fruits. And of course, they had all these epic stories of adventure and triumph, right? Uh, but one of the things that a lot of people would bring back home with them was a pineapple. And when they got back, they would take a pineapple and they would post it on a spear and put that in front of their home. And that served as two things. One, it was an announcement that they're back home. They're back home safe to some extent, maybe not unscathed, but it means that they had a lot of stories to share as well. Mm -hmm. So not only was it an announcement, but it was an invitation. Come to my home. I'm going to share with you these stories. I'm going to share with you all these exotic fruits and, and these spices and, and share with you all of uh, these things that happened to me. So over time, that then ended up becoming the international symbol for hospitality. And, and if mm -hmm. you look around, you'll see it in, you know, in hotels, you'll see it in restaurants, you'll see it on websites and marketing material that the pineapple just sort of weaves its way in there. And uh, I thought it would be perfect to put that on the cover of the book. And then when, uh, when I was planning for the book's launch, I, I held an event uh, just, uh, just a couple of weeks before the, the official publication date. And, yep. uh, and my wife gifted me this shirt, actually, to, oh, uh, nice. to wear to that event. Nice. I love yeah. this. Well, I, actually, you, I'm going to help you out here with our last topic that we were talking about. It's like, okay, creating memories that last a lifetime. Makes sense for Disney World, the attractions industry. For manufacturing, where does that apply? But your comment about you know, you, you put a pineapple on a spear outside of your home to tell people, hey, I've got stories to share from my most recent experience. I don't think this is going too much out of a limb, but if you can create remarkable experiences, stories that people of just what the experience working with you was like, those are the things that people tell one another, whether it's a B2C industry, B2B industry, those are the things that are transferable. So by nature of you saying stories, that's what got me thinking of, okay, where does this apply specifically to manufacturing? If you're a type of company that cre creates something as Seth Godin calls it, um, you know, renowned marketer, author, talks about being remarkable, right? Be a purple cow, something that's worth remarking about. If you can help turn something into a story worth telling, I think that's where some of the things you're saying, like at the, I don't want to say the most lofty level, right? But for manufacturers that might be doubters out there that think it's like, all right, I get it, but I'm not going to Cedar Point tomorrow. Like I'm trying to get product out the door. I think that's where there's a parallel. What are your thoughts? Am I getting too far out there right now? No, I think you nailed it. I think that's that's exactly what it is. The more that you can, the more that you can craft a narrative around something and something to be able to share with someone else pulls back from that. I use the term death by PowerPoint earlier mm -hmm. because it's just mm -hmm. here's my presentation. It's got all the bullet points in it of what the thing does. Now let's pull that back and say, what are the success stories that we've seen? from other clients with the product. What are, what are some of the, the benefits with it that aren't just simply, we're going to list this in the brochure? Mm -hmm. What goes beyond the tangible aspect of the product? So if let's say you're, you're trying to sell something or you're creating something, go into that, that meeting or that sales pitch mm -hmm. or whatever it is, thinking about 
how is this person going to remember their experience with me today? Mm-hmm. And then when you think about and going back to the hospitality mentality of they could buy anywhere else, they could do anywhere else. How is that going to differentiate from when they get the sales pitch from the competitor's product and they go through the PowerPoint and the bullet points and it does this and this and this and this and this. Now, of course, you need to have the, the core product, you know, 100%, you know, buttoned up. And, right, you know, and, right. You got to get but, the basics right before you can do the extras is the way yeah, I look at it. Yeah. And then, and then once you do that, now you're crafting a narrative around it that when they leave, mm-hmm. they're actually thinking, wow. And what are you doing for that individual, for that prospective client or for that client, for that customer that just makes them say, wow. And I know that that, again, that sounds like it's just the, oh, you're just creating wow experiences, right? It's nice. It's service. We'll do that when we're able to. But that wow solidifies a memory. That memory then turns into action with your business in the future and the way that they tell others about it. Memory, action, future business. I like that formula. Um, So, you know, I I was looking, one, one of the biggest questions I wanted to ask you when reflecting on the fact that we talked three and a half years ago, and that was the first time we ever met. Like, I think that was the very first conversation you and I ever had. One thing that stuck out right at the start of that interview was you talked about how your mission was to help companies enhance their guest experience and the way they deliver guest experience. And I'm like, wow, it's almost four years later and you're still on that mission. Like your mission <laughs> hasn't like deviated that much. Like, are you surprised by that? Is that kind of what you'd expect from your career? Where did you expect your career to be right now after all that? Like you're an author now. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. This is a deep bar conversation at this point. Yeah. Oh man. Where did I, yeah. I mean, It is something that I've been passionate about for so long. Mm -hmm. And I think what's amazing about it is that I feel like the story that I'm telling today is very similar to the, the narrative that I've been constructing for so many years, but I'm finding more and more ways to present it, that it keeps on improving upon itself Mm -hmm. in the way that it resonates with those who I want it Mm -hmm. to resonate with. And there are some things that are almost verbatim and identical to when I built the first training program for that client who asked me more than seven years ago, seven and a half years ago for, Hey, how can we improve our customer service? You know, how how can we be the the Chick-fil-A of our attraction attraction segment? Right. And, and build upon that and say, okay, here's, Here's, here's the idea and here's more ways to be able to, to fill that in. So I think what's kind of exciting about it is that I've, yeah, I've, I've built that. I've, I've been sharing this message mm-hmm. and I've turned it into a book and now it's, it's just continuing to grow upon itself. So that's, um, like I said, it's a very deep question and yeah. even like three and a half years from now, yeah. I'm going to invite you to ask the same question. Yeah. I was, I was just <laughs> thinking about that. It's like, cause I, I don't know if it, like a lot of people understand their personal mission to that level. And when I heard that come back up on that first podcast, I'm just like, wow, Josh really believes that. And that's what he continues to execute on and continues to get more knowledgeable on and iterates on like all of us do. Right. Like, I mean, I'm still out here helping manufacturers tell their manufacturers and like one or two hospitality folks tell their story <laughs> sprinkled on, into the mix on a regular basis. So, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I'm in a, I'm in a similar path, but you know, it's also, it's also crazy to think what that consistency does for someone's career as well. And this is something I want to bring into the conversation as well, because you and I both have our own businesses now. That was not the case when we first <laughs> talked three and a half years ago. And I think there's something to be said about like crystallizing your mission like you have, and then just continuing to go at it on a regular basis, like you've done with your podcasts on a regular, um, on a consistent cadence over the years. And it just goes to show you where your career can go over those times. Not to mention, not to mention, like I said, you and I had never met one another when we first podcast. And I remember it's at the end of that first episode where we said, we're going to do a bonus episode. Where we're just going to talk about <laughs> roller coasters. And I hear you crack a beer. I like wish I had I, a can right now. We're drinking no, draft. I, I would 100% I, I, just give me the cracks. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I left it in there because that, that beer crack was like a signal to be like, we're going to keep talking for a while. And we're going to talk about something like talking about like raving fans, right? We were yeah. talking about our passion around roller coasters and amusement parks at that point. That's what that whole other bonus episode was all about. I know we've talked about this a lot, folks. We're going to have it in the show notes. Just go to the show notes page. You'll be able to find it there if you want to go back in history here. But I mean, think think about us as well. Like we become pretty good friends yeah. over that time as pretty well. Like, amazing. We, we have literally like, and, and in fact, this bar that we're sitting at today, the first time I was here, I guess it was 2021, like mm -hmm. things were just opening up. I was here for a Fallout Boy Green Day show I know. later that weekend that you didn't go to, but you could hear the whole thing from your condo. I, I like, had a, a <laughs> sick infant at that time, uh, actually, yeah. Perfect, perfect reason not to go. Perfect, but I, but, I, I was saying that, uh, that, wait, was it? Wait, Guns N' Roses, I think, was here a week before. And I was like, oh, Axl Rose is just singing lullabies to my son. Oh, basically. yeah. You know, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's a good way I to think about it. I can hear it from, from my home. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. When, I, when I come around, <laughs> welcome to the jungle, all lullabies. As yeah, far exactly. As exactly, so, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, like, like we were sitting at this bar and I was asking, it's like, how do I, what do I do to get more involved in like the attractions industry? And like, we literally wrote out on a bar napkin, on a napkin. here at Tunes, like, hey, one of the first things you got to do, this was your advice to me. It's like, you got to get to IAPA this year you got to get to um the international association of amusement parks and attractions conference for the acronym for anyone that wanted to know iaapa.org yep, right? yep exactly <laughs> i'm using their pen right now to take notes during this conversation not accidental by the way um you got to get to this conference and i i wrote down a couple goals like i was going to do some podcasts with folks in this industry and i still have that napkin saved because i'm like i'm going to want to look back on this someday but that was here at tunes but it's been like I guess where I'm going with this rambling story here at the end of the podcast is when you stick with something, you make great connections with other pe people that are passionate about the things you are like, it changes your career. It yeah. evolved, like it, maybe it's not like, you know, a drastic change per se. It could just be an evolution. But, you know, if we look back at where we were, when we first did a podcast, we're both in very different spots than we were at that point. If you had a, if you had an infant during that concert in 2021, that means you didn't have a kid when we did this Correct. first podcast back in yeah. 2020. So the <laughs> location where I did that from is now where his crib is actually. So yeah. So, oh, got it. so, yes, so a couple you're, months after we did that podcast, that, that room turned over pretty quickly. Your office <laughs> has been turned into a nursery. <laughs> yes. Lots of tangible uh, changes during this time between then and now. So, yes. you know, as, as we, wrap up this conversation. One thing I want to ask, we were, we were texting about this earlier this week. You've learned some stuff 
from the manufacturing industry as well. What have you learned from the manufacturing industry that has helped you in the attraction space? I'm so glad you asked. Uh, so a number of years ago, uh, maybe about a year or so before you and I first connected, yeah. I, I read the book, The Lean Startup by Eric Ries. Uh, for those out there watching, listening, if you haven't read it yet, highly recommended. It's a business book that is largely based on Toyota's manufacturing totally. principles. Now, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, aka Ford, right? So we learned yes. about the assembly line, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then learning about Toyota's process was like almost the complete opposite of that. So again, I'm not a manufacturing guy. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now. I do not know much about this space. But I took so much from a business standpoint, because the, the book is very much a, a, a business book, where he talked about the way that Toyota produces a single vehicle at a time, so that when they notice if there is something that we need to change or fix or alter, they're able to do that in real time. And the only vehicle that's impacted by that is that one that is being produced right there. And he talked a lot about the idea of feedback loops. And I know I briefly mentioned this in episode 17 when we talked <laughs> you know, a few years ago, but this idea of the feedback loop is you create a thing, one thing, a single thing, not the assembly line of, of everything, because if there's something wrong in the assembly line, well, now you need to fix all the things at the point of where that error was or where that defect or that default was. Mm -hmm. With this, you create one single thing and if you notice, or as you, as you, not just if, it is when you notice opportunities for improvement, you make improvement on that individual unit. And then the next unit that goes into production already has the improvements from, you know, made from the last one. So it is better than the last one. And that process continues to iterate. How did I apply that to theme parks, right? So in in my industry, in the, in the attractions in, uh, industry, I've always been very passionate about guest feedback yeah. and the way that, you know, we, we put something out there. We, you know, we open the park, we open the attraction for the day. Our guests come in and we strive to, to deliver 100% satisfaction, you know, perfect experience to everyone. But we also acknowledge that that's not the case every single time. We use guest feedback to make improvements. So as we, as we collect the feedback and notice where the deficiencies in our guest experience are, we can make improvements based on that. Once we make those improvements, we can measure the success of our implementations. And if that friction or that pain point goes away, something else rises to the surface because now here's the next biggest thing. From that book, this is going to sound actually very meta, I built a feedback loop collection process for my industry. Yeah, that, I, I saw it in there. That, yeah. That allows that that allows them to basically optimize their feedback loop. That is the title of uh, chapter nine, I think, yeah. to iterate on these continuous improvements within the operation. And what it recognizes is that it's not perfect, mm -hmm. but you have the data to know what needs to continually be improved. Yeah. So the importance of a feedback loop really resonated with me in terms of how do we know what we need to fix? Well, let's collect feedback. Let's make improvements. Let's collect feedback. Let's measure those improvements. Let's make more improvements. Let's keep iterating on that process so that the guest experience, the operation, or we could just say the business in general just keeps getting better because the product continually improves. Yeah. And uh, I think my 
one of the things I, one of the reasons I asked that question is I think one of my big takeaways or hopefully one of the big takeaways for folks listening to this episode is that there's a lot you can learn when you get outside your specific bubble. Like not every, you, you run the best attractions industry podcast, but not everything you're learning is from that podcast alone. And not everything that someone should learn about manufacturing should be from the manufacturing space as well. So as we wrap up, is is there something you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet? We covered a lot of ground. Good hour-long conversation. Our beers are gone. That's like the first goal of these. So, Chris, there was something you asked me the last time we did this podcast. That was more oh, than three yeah, and a half yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, I know where this is going. I think I know exactly where this is going. Well, I don't even know. I, I maybe go I'll on, throw it Okay, go on, go on. You did not ask me just now, or at the beginning of this interview, what beer I was drinking. Oh, that's right. Is well, that what you were thinking? No, that, that wasn't the one I thought. We're gonna we're gonna have to talk about roller coasters. Yeah, real fast we can talk about roller coasters. Yeah, <laughs> okay, okay. We're gonna extend this a little bit longer. Okay, what beer were you drinking, Josh? I am drinking Beguiles Christmas Ale. Uh, the date of this recording is December. Is it nineteenth? We 19th, six days yeah. till Christmas. It is. It is my mom's seventieth birthday today. As a matter of wow. fact. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Happy birthday, Chris's mom. Yeah. Happy birthday, mom. She's listening to this. I guarantee she's listening. And, and she's a listener. I can guarantee makes it to this part of the podcast as well. Perfect. So we can, we can say that here. Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited. Well, I'm drinking Beguile's Christmas Ale. Beguile Brewery is uh, one of my one of my favorite breweries. It's actually very close to. It's even closer to where I live. I'm just going to point in that direction for for everyone who's who's out here. I live that way. Beguile is that way around <laughs> equidistance or so. You're just walking yeah. to all your favorite spots. Yeah, I, when exactly. I when I ran my first podcast, Pubcast Worldwide, and I would add, like it, that it was a requirement that we had to do it at a bar or brewery yeah. over a beer. What I started learning over time was most people were just picking a spot that was like, you know, walkable from their house. Like that was, they weren't like picking the best spot in town, their favorite spot. They were going for convenience. In your case though, I feel like- Happened to be both. Yeah. You like, you love them and they're close by, which is a great reason to live somewhere. In my opinion, I thought you were going to bring up the fact that when we did this interview a long time ago, or I should say, it's not like we're doing a reprise per se. We're doing a whole new interview. But when we first spoke to one another- I said my favorite roller coaster was Superman at Six Flags New England. And since then, um, you and I have traveled together. We've ridden roller coasters together. I have been to Cedar Point twice since the last time we spoke. I'd been there many times before, but I am I am on the Josh Liebman bandwagon of agreeing that, in fact, Millennium Force is the best roller coaster on the planet. I'd... <laughs> 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 if you're listening to the audio, he's like doing a big victory face at the camera right now. I, look, look, it didn't take much convincing, like that lake view, that drop, that overbank turn. Like it is, it, it's just, a, it's a great ride. And it, the fact that it has aged so well just reminds any roller coaster enthusiast like you or me about why we love roller coasters. I had the opportunity on my podcast, Attraction Pros, uh, to interview Sasha Chilbuka. He's the executive vice president of Intamin. And we may have strategically made him episode 310, which is the number of feet of Millennium Force. That is that is the height of Millennium well, Force, I mean, 310 there, feet tall. There's no May. Like, you've told me this like three or four times that you're like, oh, he's going to, episode 310 is going to be the guy from Intamin. So. Wasn't, wasn't an accident. And, uh, 
I try not to nerd out too much on my podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You're a professional in that space. You got to draw a balance. Oh, there. man. Yeah. Did I nerd out on that podcast? Yeah. I've, I've heard you nerd out on the show before. <laughs> hey, it's I, I think one of the cool things about the attractions industry. And now that I've been to IAPA, not just like once when I wrote it on that napkin year that, hey, I'm going to go this year. I went this year, 2023 right. as well. Um, it is something that I know the industry doesn't take for granted, but there are raving fans in the attractions industry, which it's one of the reasons this was the subject of the podcast today, but I can guarantee any other industry wishes they had that type of fanfare. It can be kind of tiring when you're at a trade show and fans are coming up, tell you how much they love your work and you're, you're trying to close a deal. You're trying to get business done. But at the same time, man, you think about any other industry, like you don't necessarily get that the same way the attractions industry does. And I think that's very cool seeing what I, what I like to call an amusement park trade show is like versus a typical industry trade show if you will mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent. it's uh it's a fun industry to be in it is it yeah. is fun <laughs> pun intended well with that hey if you're out there listening check out the hospitality mentality if you couldn't tell from this episode a lot of lessons for manufacturers really anyone in any in any industry that wants to get a guest centric mindset a customer centric mindset i'll have links to that in the show notes and with that josh thanks so much for jumping on today's show Chris, thanks so much for having me back. I look forward to, to doing this. Hey, let's not wait three and a half years till next time. Deal. We're not waiting three and a half years, and I know we'll be grabbing wings here at Tunes again well before that as well. And riding some coasters again. Damn right. Cheers. Happy holidays. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. I basically have one call to action this week, and that is to go check out Josh's new book, The Hospitality Mentality. You can get there by going to the show notes page. I've got a link to it, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 169. That takes you to this episode. And of course, if you want to try some of the best chicken wings in Chicago, you can go and access the link to Tunes in Chicago as well. Hopefully, uh, if you find yourself in the area, you make the trip there also. Before we wrap up, hey, I just want to thank Swipe Guide and 3M for sponsoring this show and say, hey, if you are enjoying Manufacturing Happy Hour, leave us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts, over at Spotify, wherever you are listening to this show. Spotify, it's just a five-star rating. Apple, that's where you can like leave a couple sentences. It doesn't need to be much, but certainly helps when you're leaving those written reviews. So with that, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.